All right, today I'm going to be talking with Benji Wade. Benji is a human, a father, a producer, a product, get it right, of society. Today we're going to be talking about life, love, and the pursuit of happiness, and probably none of those things. Welcome to A Lapse in Time. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Tobias. This really is a good song, though. Is this Tobias? Yes, this is Tobias. Oh, fuck yeah. It is super good. See, Tobias's shit hits me like the stuff that when I got really into electronic music yeah. in the mid '90s, and even that intro song that I was using on the Fellow Friends podcast, "Land of the Loops," it reminds me of that same generation of electronic music. Yeah, which is kind of funny because I don't think Tobias is super knowledgeable about a lot of the artists of that time and why would he he's you know 12 years younger than me yeah. or something so but well, yeah he, it's so funny how that he likes that same type of music though you know like fortet and um all that stuff that has both you know sampled instruments and so forth and you know it's really interesting how well, that stuff was happens. it you that did you listen to mogwai of course was that yeah. one i just want i saw their one of their live performances today actually yeah. and i was like oh, i like i, I like prog rock shit too man yeah yeah because they did all live pers- live performance which was really interesting to see explosions in the sky like i i got into um a lot of those bands that had influences in both electronic music and you know yeah typical acoustic shit guitars whatever okay so hi let's start this out here what is that introduce yourself a little bit this is a cider Oh, okay. It's a hard a, cider? Uh, it's a hard cider. Oh, sweet. From Shillings. Nice. It's a blackberry pear. So I'm going to be just positively buzzing with caffeine over here. and <laughs> You'll be shaking and I will be... You'll be all fucked up. <laughs> I'll it's be great. vibing. It's great. <laughs> it, about midstream, I'm going to take over this podcast. <laughs> That's okay. Just like Jackie. Jackie, I love Jackie. Jackie's like, so Connor... I know. And so, I recognize it too. I was like, oh, so now... Okay. Like, the I want to know turn. about you. And you're like, ah, come on now. <laughs> love, love Jackie. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, how about this? For the people who don't know you, and actually probably the people listening to this probably do know you because it's the people that I've shared it with, which are coworkers and friends. Sure. Um, a bit about yourself. Starting Maybe starting where? Started started way back. Start at the birth. Start start no, start where you would be interested. Well I've you, heard your heard, origin heard my dumb story when we're talking to clients or whatever, but oh I went to do the thing and then I ended up here and had a family. Yeah. Like come on. Well I guess so my interest is is probably I don't know, like I guess about your more personal experiences through like even before owning businesses and stuff, you know, like, like what your origin story, we had talked a little bit about talking about like maybe your differences and, and similarities to like, you know, growing up Mm. and like, I don't know, like maybe like pre-college time or like how your life evolved from whatever it was that you started as into wanting to make or like own businesses. Own businesses or get into or just do anything. I don't like because I don't even think stuff. of you guys as like business owners. Yeah. When I think of people who are like business moguls, I don't think like Luke and Benji. You know. Well, it's interesting. We've been talking a lot about um, cooperative business structures lately, and part of that conversation has been around how sometimes people trip into becoming business owners, but they really became business owners because they really like doing something. Yeah. Something, um, whether that's something with their hands, their heart, their mind, whatever, they, there's something they're passionate about, something they're really dedicated to doing and they would be doing it perhaps even, you know, 
um, despite not even getting paid for it, right? Yeah. But they found out there's a way to make a living doing this kind of thing. So they're like, well, fuck, I'll try that. Yeah. So that's a lot of times how people end up being business owners. It's not because they're just like the whole entrepreneur thing is kind of a gross word because it, right. to me, a lot of times it means, oh, I just woke up one day and wanted to figure out how to separate people from their money as quickly as possible and accumulate a lot of it for myself kind of thing. Yeah. So, you know, we've been, and this has been a conversation we've had around um, how much I hate advertising, right? I'm only in an, in a, you know, ha- having this business pursuit of with treatment and so forth because almost by accident, you know, I, I thought I was going to go to Hollywood to make movies. And, you know, the only reason I would have ever done anything in the marketing advertising space is if there was a way to do some kind of, some kind of <laughs> storytelling or media making that doesn't feel extremely cynically commercial in nature. Yeah. Right. So if, if anytime a client comes to us, as you are well aware, and they're like, hey, man, i got this gizmo. I'm just trying to move these units. You know, can you just help me sell these fucking things? I'm, that's a really bad way to start a conversation. Yeah. But if there's something about their their origin story for how they became a business owner, and oftentimes it's like kindred spirits, people who stumbled into being business owners, and they did it almost, again, despite all the shit that goes into a, a business, not because of it. Right. Um, the just intrinsically motivated things, you know, um, then it's a good fit. But if they're interested in just moving product or whatever, it's never been a good fit. So Yeah. Yeah, so the whole business owner thing is like not, I kind of tripped into it. So, I sp- okay, I've, I've, I immediately yeah. I have a question. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, so yeah. I'm curious about this. So then how do you, because like I think you and Luke have managed it pretty well for not necessarily knowing, like, you know, you had a video game store because you uh, really enjoy video games. and um, That's different though. I okay. will admit that was a means to an end. I love fucking video games. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. But I was in Anchorage, Alaska. I was about 20 years old. The Sony PlayStation was getting ready to come out. In fact, it goes a little bit before that. I bought a Panasonic 3DO, which was this really weird video game system that came out between the death of the 16-bit era Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis and the Sony PlayStation. And in that in-between time, it was really awkward. There was this machine that came out called a 3DO. Have you even fucking heard of a 3DO? No. See, there you go. (laughs) A guy named Trip Hawkins that used to work for Electronic Arts back in the 80s. He was a really important video game pioneer dude. Um, more on the business side of it, but also had a mind for, for interactive entertainment. He started this company called 3DO. And it was this first compact disc-based uh, video game system. Long story short, it obviously did, you'd never even heard of it. It didn't super take off. Some Electronic Arts games came out on it. It did really, though, push the, the boundaries. And, and it, it kind of it put the Japanese companies on their back foot about, you guys have got a fucking move on with like these cartridges and shit right yeah so anyways long story short i bought one of those things couldn't find games there was this video game store in anchorage alaska called microplay it was a canadian-based franchise and i was like holy shit i can't believe this place and they sold 3do games and they were hiring and i was a college kid and i was like fuck i'll go work there for you know yeah absolutely yeah and then along the way when the playstation came out that business microplay started to make so much money just, it was incredible. The video game industry exploded. It went from like a $3 billion industry, which is already like a pretty big industry, to like a $12 billion industry in the course of like a year. Whoa. And then it went even more bananas, obviously, to where we are. Now it's yeah, 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 exactly. But I was like, well, this is a means to an end. I want to go to film school someday. So weirdly enough, there's a point to this. 
starting that video game store, because I went to my hometown of Fairbanks and started a video game store with the purpose of like, I'm going to make so much money doing this. Someday I'll sell the proverbial farm, AKA my little video game emporium. And I'll be able to afford to go to the American Film Institute, UCLA or NYU or Columbia or wherever. Cause all those things were out of reach as a poor kid who grew up in the middle of Alaska. Sure. So I went about pursuing that business to make money. Yeah. And it was a fucking flop. Yeah. So I think there's a, there's so a, you learned a valuable lesson. There's maybe a that tale. Was not the yeah. Yeah. In a way. I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong. I am passionate about video games, but sure. I probably played them too much and also market conditions and a bunch of other things and things that I just was like, just humbling hammer blows of like, this is how life works. Yeah. You thought you knew everything. No, here's <laughs> what happens when you, you take out a giant business loan and blah, blah, blah. It survived for 11 years. That store did. Yeah. But never did it make a ton of money. And, and I learned a ton and it was like, don't ever go into starting a business, especially when you have, you know, a bank loan, blah, blah, blah with, with it, any kind of assumption that it's going to be easy. Yeah. So. The illusions of grandeur. So I got that right. shit out of my system in my early twenties Yeah, and my midlife crisis car. I, I bought a $50,000 Audi and oh, all this other nice. dumb shit when I was like t not even on my 24th birthday, I, I bought this crazy expensive car and I got all the dumb, um, you know, the like financially idiotic decisions that people make typically when they're in their, you know, middle ages or whatever, like oh, I got to get a midlife crisis car or whatever. I did some of that stuff in my early twenties and got out of the way. Well, like, yeah, which that's probably great. Cause then, you was. know, like you learn those lessons early on. And then I think you realize I've probably learned a bit with cameras in general too. And why I've downsized to, I don't shoot full frame anymore. Um, I shoot on a crop sensor, like on the Fuji is my main camera and stuff is like, I think you can get sucked into these ideas that like, oh, these items, these things, that you'll be happy. Just keep getting all these things and you'll get happy eventually. It's fetish, and man. It's fetish. super is. The word fetish comes up in every podcast of yours I've listened to. Yeah. It doesn't even get said, but I'm thinking of it the whole time I'm listening. Yeah. It's all about fetish, man. It's yeah. All, you can't fetishize those things because none of it matters. There's diminishing returns. Yeah. Like the Hasselblad medium format, blah, 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 that, you know, and I get it. I get it. No, no, no. I get it. <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's a different tangent sure. i understand yeah. but in general right. that's maybe a bad example but buying the latest greatest thing mm -hmm. is fucking stupid yeah. i remember uh in film school somebody somebody once upon a time said to me i don't remember who it was which is shitty that i don't remember actually i think it was a guy named lance dreamer he sounds doesn't like matter an inspirational guy. he said he said his one thing that he remembered from anything he ever learned about filmmaking whether it was in at montana state university or when he went to hollywood for a while and this dude was by no means any kind of successful filmmaker. Sure. But he did spend some time doing it. He was like, the best tool is the one that works. I was like, fuck. The more I broke that down, I was like, that's so true. How many people would like nerd out about technology? Just like spending all their time on modern days. It's Reddit. You know, back in the day, there's a website called DVX user. Just fucking dorks that just fetishized technology all day long. Like if I just get that new red yeah. All my movies will be better. Yeah. It's like, dude, just get off your ass and take your fucking, you, <laughs> your DV, mini DV camera that shoots, you know, uh, interlaced dog shit, standard definition, you know, on the fucking tape yeah. and go make a, make a shitty video and just get it out of your way. Yeah. Because the technology is not the problem, my man. Right. It's the fact that you're in your fucking basement writing on, you know, internet websites all day about, yeah. about cameras instead of actually doing anything like learning how to make uh how to tell stories with cameras yeah so best tool is the one that works i always thought that was such and a it's great lesson fucking legs i think that i'm still it's still a lesson i'm learning to this day i think that i still will 
oh, you know, I'll get sucked into the Leica thing. And I have to pull myself out of it too. Like the other day I was looking at Leica M6s online and I was like, you know, I could shoot this and I could blah, blah, blah. And then I had to stop myself and be like, dude, like I don't even shoot that much 35 millimeter. And if I did, why would I spend $3,000 on a camera to then continue putting $20 per roll into developing it and all this other stuff? Like I have this cheap little $100 one that works totally fine. And people who I get, it's such a good point. People who I guess have fuck you money and don't care about buying things like that. Yeah. Oh, whatever. I'm not going to begrudge their choices. There is a lot of craftsmanship. There's a lot of tech. There are a lot of things in the details of how like Leica cameras are made. Sure. But at the end of the day, if you grabbed the 100F mm-hmm. Fuji, which you and I are enormous fans, and you turned me on to it. It's incredible. I got a facelift today. And you were s- sitting in front of some subject matter, and all the settings, it's not apples to apples, but... For as close as you could make it, the settings were identical in that camera versus an M6. Yeah. Would anyone give a flat fuck at the end of the day? No one. The would differences notice. between them. The only person. And by anyone, I mean, I mean a person who could be impacted by your work. Right. Not to get not into the not nerds. to get into Rollenbart already, but sure. You know. Like yeah. The would anybody would it make a huge difference? No, it wouldn't. So anyway. Yeah. Well, and I, I've even seen people compare like Leica M10s to the X100, right? Yeah. And, you know, and there's like, well, the battery life's a little better on this one, and this one's a little better. And at the end of it, they're like, you know, I think the Leica's a better camera, but you know, like they. Yeah. And I'm sitting here, you're comparing a ten thousand dollar camera it. to something for a thousand dollars. Like it shouldn't even be if it's even close. Yeah. Go buy the thousand dollar one. The Alexa there's Mini no used to get compared when we decided to get the Blackmagic Ursa Mini Pro. Yeah. It would be compared favorably to the Alexa Mini, and it was kind of like. Wait, what? If what, and they would be like the biggest difference in them. Yeah. Yes, there's this, that, the other, a bunch of technical things, but the, actually the number one difference is about forty two thousand dollars and change or something. It's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, I get it. Okay, so now there's a bunch of other probably really again. If you did nothing but produce videos all day long, those differences sure. would add up, and you probably efficiencies here, and you know color space here, and fucking um, you know dynamic range here, like whatever. Yeah, but the nuances. But for most people. Eh. even on a professional level, the biggest difference will be in your pocketbook, probably 40 grand. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Best tools in the one that works. Yes. Oh, that was a good way to segue into that. Um, well, back to that, and I guess the theoretical part of it, <laughs> if we want to go deep into the philosophy behind, um, you know, that, I don't know if you care to go into that or... About which part? Um, just about, like, the way that, you know, like we, like, we fetishize things, like the philosophy behind that and where that comes from, and then also maybe how you found, like... Maybe it was back in your twenties when you got out of buying all the nice cars, or you like you realize that didn't get you to any other level in society yeah, or yeah. in your own eyes or whatever. Like what? Like did you have a moment where you were just like, oh, like okay, I think I've given up on that bit of materialism. Oh or man, does it like still pervade life? How long is this podcast supposed to be? <laughs> Fuck, <laughs> we got time. You never stop learning this this stuff we're talking about. It's so funny how even like sometimes video games can help me toward my own impulses because I have the same impulses. I love to buy shit. Oh yeah. my God. Retail therapy, completely not lost on me. Mm. This idea of diminishing returns of, well, if I just buy this thing, my video game experiences will be better. Or my, you know, <clears throat> filmmaking endeavors will be better. I'll just buy this new thing. We, yeah. you, know, you know, I've been talking about it recently. We do it. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> full disclosure. We're fucking dorks too. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, so it's a lesson you never stop learning. Um, I think for me, when I made a decision to not pursue Hollywood, it was like, huh, what had come out of my undergrad experience in, uh, you know, in getting a filmmaking degree, which didn't really mean much other than I had a really great safe 
place to go make bad movies. Yeah. Because that's what film students should do, right? right? But one of the things that along the way that I was like, well, hmm, is this going to be right? I Values. It just became like a value thing and plus a just an instinct for thinking I'm not going to be happy um, going after the commercial side of making movies. I just wouldn't. I could tell... And I probably would have known that even before I went to Montana State University. It's not like that. Whoa, man, I'm fucking I just discovered who I am. Yeah. Even the kind of movies I was into, you know, which was, I'm not very predictable, even though people think I'm like completely up my own ass with like my criticisms of movies. I, I like blockbuster dog shit as much as the next person. I like indie shit. I like art house shit. I like foreign films. I like anything. I just like, if it's w- well done, it's well done. That's, yeah. And I can talk to you about what I think was well done about it. Yeah. Um, so my shift fluid criteria for how I experience, you know, watching movies, but, um, but I, it, something about that process made me think I, I should not go into commercial filmmaking at all. I really, I really, I really did feel that, believe that and, um, move forward with my life that way. So I, I decided not to go to the American Film Institute. That's where I got into a school that I dreamed about going to when I was a teenager. I was like, Oh, that'd be amazing. That's where so many my favorite people went to film school or whatever um, and decided to pursue the academic side of it. So enough had happened in things that I had learned about the academic and theoretical side of filmmaking when I was in film school as an undergrad that I thought that I should do that because I would like to be in the proverbial uh, big A academy. I want to go teach. Right. And then realized I didn't want to do that either. Yeah. So, right. Were there crises in between these? Not to oh, interject. Yeah. I want you to continue sure. on with this, but big like, ones. did you have Fucking, these like, Oh, big ones, man. And how'd you overcome that? I know like it's, it's weird. I, I haven't experienced it personally. I don't think to that level, but mm. I know my girlfriend's going through it right now with like vet school and realizing like, wait, maybe this isn't what I want to do. Oh, it's tough. How do you like pivot? And like, how do you hmm. deal with that? And I don't like, maybe that's a longer, harder answer. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's a great question. I, I don't know how portable my version of that experience would be to somebody else, but it was slow and painful because I grew up thinking, and it kind of, in some ways I would say that my dream would be going to Hollywood and making movies some, when I was a kid, I don't want to say it saved my life, but it probably did to some degree. I always had that dream back pocketed of that's what I'm going to do. I'm destined to it. I had all those types of very rose tinted. This is going to be amazing. I can't wait. And this, yeah, it's yeah. Trust me, I got this. <laughs> I had that attitude. Yeah. I mean, super cocky and 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 also just confident in in. There's a you know I, I always think about how utterly immodest and totally arrogant it is that people think they should make movies, yeah, make films, or even uh, tell stories or take photographs that they think other people are going to see. Yeah, because it, it basically is saying something about some shit I'm seeing. <laughs> you should see it. Yeah. You should see what I see. There's a certain bit of self-righteousness. It's immodest. Like. It's it's arrogant almost, but yeah. it's that's a beautiful thing too because sure. it's expression. It's how you connect with other people. It's fine, right? Um but I thought all those things. I was like I'm going to be a successful Hollywood guy, blah blah blah. When I realized for a number of reasons it would probably just take too long to go into like a, a why it was not going to be a good fit for me to go do that. Um it was hard. It was really hard. Ray and I went to visit Los Angeles checked out American Film Institute and then I went to the school that I th- I thought would put me in the best position to do the academic side of things which is to follow my mentor 
who was at Montana State down to Southern Illinois University and entered an MFA program at a really small school that was known for its independent filmmaking and for its uh, documentary filmmakers that had gone there. Yeah. Like Joe Swanberg, uh, Steve James. Joe Swanberg is a guy who's made a bunch of uh, indie movies, like Drinking Buddies and a few other things. And like he was friends with Greta Gerwig. And th- there's this whole like group of, of um, kind of like a lot of com- comedic independent filmmakers went to SIU. Uh, Steve James is a famous documentarian who did Hoop Dreams and a bunch of other stuff. He went there and I was like, okay, so it's got, it's got some tradition. It's got some pedigree and they're going to pay me to teach there. So fuck, I'll go because I could teach undergrads while getting an MFA, but that's just a different, it it just, I basically in short order went from, nah, fuck Hollywood. Don't want to do that. It's just, that'll devastate me. And I'd end up in a fucking ditch with my personality, with my politics who I am as a person, there's no way I would have survived that. I knew that. Right. Yeah. Even visiting that fucking shithole, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't stomach how uncomfortable I was with how uncomfortable everybody there is. Yeah, You'd go to a fucking diner, and people would literally gawk. Not gawk. What's the word? They would scan the room to be like, is that? Is that? They'd be doing this thing. They'd be having lunch with a friend or whatever, and they'd be looking at other oh, tables. Really? Yeah, and everywhere you'd go, if you went for a walk up to like... Uh, through Griffith Park, up to the observatory, wherever, they would just kind of want to talk to you and introduce themselves all the time. And it was always so extremely awkward. Yeah. And I'd be like, hey, man, you know. Yeah. I'm talking, I'm just a dude visiting this place. Right. And would have encounters where I was forced to say hi to somebody and introduce myself. I've Not kidding. It's kind of otherworldly. Very bizarre. From, yeah. We went to Venice, which I'd never been to any of these places. I'd never been, I had never been to L.A. And went to a t-shirt shop, bought a t-shirt. Guy asked where I, who, what I was doing. But same thing. Yeah. Just an innocent transaction. I'm just buying a fucking t-shirt. And the dude's like, hey, so uh, what you up to? Kind of a who are you? Right. Everybody wants to just figure out. And not from a, oh, you might be famous, but even a networking thing. And yeah. the dude found out I was I was uh, touring AFI. And he's like, oh, what, what, what track are you in? I was like, directing. He's like, oh, rad. Here's my card. I'm an actor. If you need an actor for any of your student films that you make at AFI, because you never know, man, AFI, it's like a fucking, yeah. it's like punching a lottery ticket. You might be, that might be the, the person who it's goes the on to have a needed. Hollywood career. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that shot that down, that dream. That was the main dream when I was getting, just the culture like, of it. You were like, I, I can't every, because but, it was, but for me at that point, it was everything about my life at, up to that point. Not kidding. I had been, I'm, I'm going to Hollywood. I want to make movies, blah, blah, blah. Had Not, you had Greta yet? No. Oh, no. Ah. Yeah. So this is pretty kids. Yeah, totally. So um, then went to Illinois, Carbondale to check that out. And while there found out I was waitlisted for AFI and I was like, ah, fuck. So Rainer kind of looking at each other going, well, that's stressful because now it's, there's a pretty good chance you got into the program, but it's like, you have to wait. So you're like one of their, like, if everybody else doesn't get into this thing, you're in. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, well, that's kind of fucking awkward. And we were in visiting my mentor and I really like, I love the theoretical, as you know, the theoretical side of, of media. I like studying theory. I like studying philosophy. I like, I like just even the history of, of filmmaking. I'm interested in all of it. Um, and I was like, well, academia has always been something I was really into. So, um, and getting an MFA would be kind of best of both worlds, whatever. So while there, I remember spending time with my mentor and his his family and his kids were young and I was like, dude, I know and Ray and I wanted to be together. We were like we were together, we'd been together for a few years. We we're like, okay, well, starting a family is something we always always talked about doing. And we got back from that trip and the 
it was tough. Like I, while there, I basically committed to that idea. I, like I'm going to go, I'm going to go here. They, they had already said, we'll pay you stipend. You could be a, you know, a, te- a teaching assistant and you can actually have your own, you can be the teacher of record by the time you're in your third year. And I was like, this is really cool. I could get into this. Um, and when we got back to, um, at the time Bozeman, we didn't think it was possible to have kids. I'll, I'll give you a too long, didn't read version of this. Sure. And like, we're talking a few years of like this, nah, it's not going to happen. Yeah. You know, and we're going to have kids. We're going to have to figure out how that's going to happen. Probably going to need some help. Going to need to, you know, get some fertility stuff figured out, blah, blah, blah. So <laughs> the first day of the World Cup in 2000, this is 2010. Yeah. I'm drinking a cup of coffee downstairs in our condo in Bozeman and watching uh, South Africa play, I think it was Mexico. And Ray walks downstairs and she's like shaking. I'm like, oh, fuck. One of the cats died. You know, like yeah. what's going on? This is, she's like super distraught. Something bad happened. And she's like crying but kind of like i could tell like are you happy yeah. or are you miserable <laughs> What's going on here? fuck <laughs> she's like i'm pregnant and i was like nah. I, I literally was like laughing i was like ah, that's cute you know that's not possible right because if it were yeah okay if it were it would have happened a long time ago yeah saying you know what i'm saying okay you know anything about you know how this works Connor? Yeah, yeah yeah okay 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 B, B you're tracking yeah. me all right cool. so i was like that's not possible and she's like uh, I know the pregnancy test da, 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 and I was like, holy shit. And yeah, we, that was it. But we were, and by the time I ended up in Carbondale, Ray was four months pregnant. Yeah. So, yeah. And that was the, that was, I think to me, not that it was like, okay, well, no, I started a family instead of doing those things. So you better mean a lot to me, family. Cause I gave up my Hollywood dream. It really wasn't like that. It was so much more, um, it felt so much more as a, like a natural progression in my life in a, in a, effortless in a sense like yeah this no this is this was really genuinely meant to be yeah well in the family it, it was like because i think there's like two type of people when you have kids right there's the ones who ease into that and enjoy that and they go okay like now this is the purpose of my life like my purpose has shifted away from my egotistical outlook on life and that i need to you know reach a certain uh, place of like self-empowerment and like self-realization and whatever and like i think there are still those people but then i think there are for a lot of people, it's like they have kids and they go, okay, now my life is to make sure that your life is better than mine. And that like, you have a great life and that like, and now this is your life in a way. It's, right? it's so, it's like, yeah, totally. It's strangely freeing in a way. I don't know. I, there's it, it. I remember there was a quote by Francis Ford Coppola that I, that I thought really vibed that I read once upon a time that didn't have any meaning, but then it, be, it became quite meaningful to me. And it was something like, he said, like, I knew I would become, or that I, I knew that I would be a better filmmaker or a, I would actually be a filmmaker when I started my family. Yeah. So before that, I was just kind of like, I'm just this lost kind of don't know what's going on. But it was starting a family for him. And obviously this is, this is personal type of thing. It's not sure. like this is everybody's story, sure. but it definitely resonated with me. Yeah. Um, not at the time. I was kind of like, Oh, note. Obviously I, I, I remembered it. Right. <laughs> um, and then it, it really did st- seem to, it, it, something felt like, uh, Something felt for me when, and it was something to do with me and Ray too. It wasn't just having, you know, Greta, you know, even before she was born, it was something about our relationship and everything just made me feel so much more, uh, close to the ground. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and in an interesting, I think kind of beautiful way, being close to the ground is where people are when they have cameras and they're running around telling stories and so forth. And I, I made this, uh, this piece when I was in um, grad school about 
the environment, the landscape of Southern Illinois yeah. because they had this huge um, windstorm that happened like a couple of years before we got there. And there was these trees just strewn about the forest everywhere that were down. And I was like, what the fuck happened to this place? And they're like, oh, there was this massive inland hurricane called a derecho. And I was like, not, not too dissimilar from what we've had happen in Spokane. Right. Yeah. And uh, so I think we brought it with us when we moved here. Um, and I was like, I'm going to go make a, I want to make a, like an experimental piece about this, the condition of the, the landscape down here. Cause it's wild. Um, and yeah, so I think there's something about that that did feel, um, but I, I, it's not like I, just cause I didn't want to go to Hollywood just cause I didn't want to do, um, the MFA program and go into that crappy world of academia. I still, I still wanted, I still had this never ending obsession with expressing myself with, with moving images. Sure. And I'll, I don't think I'll ever kick that habit. It's just there. My brain thinks like that. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter what I'll be doing in, in my life. Um, I'll just be like, well, the lighting over there. Fuck. I just wish I'm sure you have these moments. Where I'm like, I can't believe I don't have anything that's capable <laughs> of recording what I'm seeing. Every over there. single sunset. Yeah, every single I sunset. I lose my mind. Yeah. There's no way to like, I, even the cell phones are getting closer. They I will are. Say they're the closest thing I think I can get. It's crazy. To a camera. And it's funny because my girlfriend would be like, oh, like I wish you had your camera out here. And I'm like, no, you have no idea. My camera would make this look like shit. <laughs> like yeah. this would not look good with my camera. This looks really good on a cell phone because it's like the, the HDR and all that stuff. In. It looks. It's, and it's effortless. It is. Yeah. yeah. Versus so the, on the one hand, yes, your camera, your the, the quote unquote big pro camera could make this look better but sure. it's a lot more effortful yeah absolutely whereas it's dumb mode you pick this fucking dumb thing out of your pocket and you just press a button yeah it's like yeah that shit's dope it's because yeah. it's got all yeah all that automatic stuff but you're right it's like speaking to the best tool that the, the best tools the one that works yeah we all walk around with one in our pockets all day long well, it's fucking nutty and to that point so what you were saying earlier or like what you were just saying um like when you're like looking at anything, I, I noticed it, and I, I, I think I don't know when it happened. I don't know like when the shift was or whatever. But my perspective of literally everything has drastically shifted, and so now when I look at like anything, I'm looking at that like, well, how could I photograph that? Yeah. Or like, oh, is that photographic? Or and it's actually taken me a bit of like actually just going up to my parents' cabin on the weekends and like not bringing a camera or bringing just a little camera or whatever to like be like, oh well, this is like now I feel kind of normal. Like I feel like I'm in this hyper you know, state of like, well, like, well, the lighting on here and like, look at the blue, like, you know, and you'll see like, oh, look at the orange as it like hits the buildings and stuff. And, and, and I think people probably, some people are like, oh, like, I wish I could see things like that. And I'm kind of a the mindset. I'm like, I wish I could stop seeing things like that and just yeah. like enjoy life a little bit and enjoy that. I've, st I've stopped bringing, as you know, I brought your camera, the Fuji, when I went to the only time I've ever been to Hawaii. Yeah. I brought that camera and I'm really glad I did. Yeah. You because I got some there. stuff there that was like invaluable to me, both personally because it's my family and it's the only time. Um, I think Ray had been there once, but it wasn't a great trip. She was a teenager, and then I'd never been. I'd never been anywhere close to like a location like that. Yeah. Just not how I've lived my life. And then my kids they were young, but they're never going to forget it. They were crying at the fucking airport when we were leaving. <laughs> they were like, oh, we don't want to leave. We yeah. fucking hate Spokane. <laughs> um, but now it's it's tough. It's it's really, you got to be pretty intentional to not bring the cameras because they can fuck things up too. Yeah, absolutely. You can just obsess. I just kept taking photos. I have 157,000 pictures of the beach in the sunset. As if that hasn't ever been photographed to fucking death. Now, yeah. would I have spent my time better just enjoying that experience? Probably. Probably. Yeah. I was talking to <laughs> yeah. um, uh, my brother-in-law, Greg, about this when we went to um, uh, Manzanita recently in Oregon. It's kind of like, I could 
I could photograph the shit out of this if I had a dope camera here right now, blah, blah, blah. But it's also kind of like, it, I could also go find that on the internet. Yeah. I'm sure someone has taken all their gear out there and set it up. And Can, like, t- t- can we be honest? Does anybody need to shoot that ca- Cannon uh, Beach rock anymore? No. No, it's been, guess what? It's been photographed a few times. I think I have a print of it in the stack. Right I here. could get you <laughs> the fucking, your pick of the litter of the dopest shit you ever saw of yeah. that beach for eight bucks and on it's Shutterstock. A f- it's a fucking rock. You could print it? Yeah. <laughs> it's, at the end of the day, it's hey. just a rock. It's yeah. a cool rock, granted, but yeah, yeah there, I, I think like, I don't know if any advice out to anyone who like just gets so involved in it. I think this is like coming full circle to even our talk about gear and stuff. Is that like at the end of the day, your experience is going to be far greater than probably any photograph that you took of it. Yeah, Although the, the photograph can, and this another point as I'm thinking that. So like, you know, when I take a photo, it's nice to have that photo only because then it can bring me back to the feelings that I had when I was doing that thing, yeah, even yeah. if the photo sucks. So even if it's like a photo where like, you know, like one of my friends is making a stupid face and the lighting's all messed up, but I can remember what it was like to be back at that time. Like that photo is way more um, important to me than something that just looks really good, but I took 40 of it just to make sure it was right. Totally. You know? That's a, that's a, yeah. It's, and sometimes I think it's a, everything within reason, everything in moderation. It's like this, the maximum of life, right? If the, it's, I don't want to forget though, that I really enjoyed taking those photos. Sure. Photography, filmmaking, lots of most expressive, um, most most modes of expression expression for human beings. Right, is there's some labor to it, and that labor is joyful. When you really, really, I get into this flow state taking photos. I get into the flow state editing. Ray would that's the first thing she'd say. She's like, anytime you're editing, you literally black out. Like yeah. when I was in film school and she first met me, she's like, um, "Are you are you gonna you didn't you didn't eat." And I'm like, what are you talking about? I was editing a buddy's senior film. She's like, you've been you've been editing for like six hours. And I fucking literally didn't think that was true. <laughs> I was like, no, it can't be. Like, no, it's been 20 minutes. But I love mean? it. I fucking love it. And yeah. if you love something like that, and it really does come from some kind of, you know, you're intrinsically just, it's there. You do this t- despite it, somebody, you don't want to be paid to do it because you enjoy doing it. Right. Um, so even the photography thing that I did in Hawaii, it's like, I really, my memory of those photos a lot of times is just the joy that I had of taking them too. Yeah. So it is a weird thing of like the experience of being on the beach with my kids and having a beer and watching the sunset. I did do that too, but I did take 432,000 photographs. So I probably could have moderated my amount of photography there. Cause the girls still fuck with me about it. I'm yeah. like, Hey, let's go wherever. And they're like, you're just going to bring your fucking camera. In. <laughs> I'm like, ah, okay, well, I won't. I promise. I'll just, I have my phone and I, they're like, yeah, even that sometimes, you yeah. know, because I'll have the phone out and right. try to get, cause you want to like get the, I mean, it's that like <laughs> grasping for those moments that you like hope will never fade. And they don't like you will still remember those things. Um, but oh, but as a, a side note, shout out to Fuji though for making those photos feel so good when you're taking them. Because oh, <laughs> I think that's my biggest thing with that X100. Yes. It's like I could be taking pictures of the dog in the backyard and I'm sitting out there and I'm just enjoying the whole time. I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is so much fun. So true, man. But the Sony, I hate every minute of it. I sold the thing. I was like, you know what? This sucks. It feels too mechanical. It feels like driving an automatic versus driving a stick shift. Yeah. Like this X100 is like an old rabbit, you know, like a 19, like a, like a diesel rabbit. Yeah. It's like you just feel all the little clean and clunks and all that whereas the sony's like probably driving like a mercedes or something where the seats are heated and it just kind of all does it for you but like it doesn't feel very good sorry that was a segue uh back to the beauty though of uh or i guess like trying to hold on to that beauty i had a point about that um 
that I think like, especially on vacations, that's really hard. Cause you're just like, like in your head, you're like, Oh, like this, I need, I need all these moments, like all these little moments and the little, like whatever, it's not going to happen again. Yeah. And then, you know, the next thing you know, you think back and you go, Oh, like, what do I remember about that vacation? And you go, Oh, well, I got to pull up my Google drive and look through all those images so I can remember exactly what we did. Cause all I did was spend time taking pictures with my yeah. camera, you know? Yeah. Um, so like you said though, it's a balance, but sometimes like who's, I think it, the important question to ask yourself as a person who's taking these photographs, you don't even have to self-describe as a photographer, but right. you are a person who's photographing things. Yeah. You're a photographer. Is to ask yourself, <laughs> yeah. Ask yourself, who the fuck is this for? Right. Is this for me? Is it for me now? Or was it, is it for me later? Is it for my family later? Is it to put prints? Is it to do this? Da, da, da. Just being, I think being, people are just honest with themselves about those, those questions and they're, they feel good about the answer. Yeah. Then don't stop. Yeah. And again, in moderation, as sure. long as they're not letting the fucking, the technology of a camera dominate the experiences that they're supposed to be sharing with other people. Cause right. I, I'm sure I was on the cusp a few times. Yeah. Where and I, like, I think I've been there too, where yeah. like, you know, I'll bring up the, like I'll bring the six K up to the cabin when like it's my niece and my nephew and stuff. And I'm just trying to film and like get all these cool little look and whatever. And then there's times where I went up uh, a couple weekends ago and I was just playing catch with my nephew for like an hour straight. And he like just got this new baseball mitt and this baseball bat. I didn't take a single, single picture, single video. And it was just like, it was so nice. It was like the, like the best time I've had in a really long time of like just hanging out with him, being in the moment, like tossing the ball. Yeah. You'd hit it every once in a while <laughs> like uh, so yeah I, I think like cameras can be a bit of a a bit of a block but also at the same time i think like just walking around like it, it gets me out of my out of my house gets me into the neighborhood i'll just walk around this area take pictures of houses and like things that really don't matter to anyone else but i just like to do it because it's like it's therapeutic in a weird way um, well in those moments you're describing i think one of the things that you, I, I assume you would really enjoy geeking out on from a theoretical perspective, stuff that I got into in the more critical theory side of, of media stuff in my academic pursuits was this idea of photography, depending on how it's written about or thought about, is either preventing a death or it is capturing a death, a moment. It's a death of a moment. And you can basically bring that moment back to life by preserving it by taking that photograph that that moment didn't die so all these experiences that we have that are obviously just innately quite ephemeral we can pull them down and bring them back to life later yeah it's it's and that's one of the things i think that that that's a kind of a an attempt at eloquence or and it, you know it's it's a it's a pretty way of saying what everybody says about taking photos. Well, here's the moment, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it is a death of sorts too. Like those moments that go by every, every shot is like, Oh, that moment's dead. It, it's gone forever. Yeah. You're never, you're never, uh, however old I was 42 years and three days or whatever that I was when I went to Hawaii. Like, yeah, that's a moment that I can, but I can still look back at that, the death of that moment. When I think it's, uh, or you can bring it back to life. It's a perspective thing. It's either brought back to life by looking at it again, yeah. or it's looking at the death of something that happened. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I'm I'm simmering. Yeah. Let me think for about it for a second. Um, yeah, because I like when when I think of the things that actually matter. When I photograph something that actually matters, like even some of the prints here that I have sitting on the side that no one can actually see. Like some of them, I don't actually care about the subject matter. Um, but like, you know, looking at this, like I have this one of the underpass in Spokane and like, there is that like death of normalcy that we're experiencing now. Right. And we'll probably that I'll have a different experience of that photo later on. But like right now it's really odd to like, look back at that and think of like, Oh, that was a time when I used to just like 
go to work and then walk outside of work without no mask on and like go to the sandwich shop and get a sandwich and like yeah that but those times albeit it'll probably be different normal or sense of normalcy but like that is gone and that probably won't ever come back at least that specific feeling um and like that's i think like feelings with everything you can still have like a and now we're gonna get into emotions but like you like have different uh like um, emotional experiences with similar things like vacations, right? Like you can have like a, a very positive emotional experience with one vacation and a very positive emotional experience with another vacation, but you remember them two very differently and they're like their own type of positive emotional experience. Um, and I think like that plays heavily into my photography and like what I really enjoy taking mean, pictures. When of you like. say, it mean, when you say it plays heavily, you mean it's a big motive for you or it's a big reason why you do it or what do you mean by it plays? Yeah. Heavily? I think it like, yeah, like it's a big, yeah, a big motivator. I think for me to like, to capture the, f whatever specific feeling it is at that time. And I used to stop taking photos when things weren't great. Like when I wasn't feeling good or when I wasn't in like a happy place or whatever, because I was like, Oh, it's like, well, I don't really feel like capturing this moment or whatever. But now, like, looking back at some of the photos I took during that time, it is this, like, it's almost, like, to go back to the death concept, it's like a death of bad things and, like, a reminder that, like, bad yeah. things die and that, like, eventually you get back to a good place, although it feels like in that moment that you will never escape that bad place. Like, it is an inescapable place. Um, so it's just, like, it's kind of like a bookmark in life. Like, photos are just little bookmarks that you place as you go along and then, you know, sometimes they're good bookmarks, sometimes they're weird, sometimes you, you know. Yeah, a term used in... Um theoretical circles a lot for what we're talking about is the trace. Yeah. The trace can be an emotional one. It can be a physical trace. It's a, it's a measure of that moment. It happened. Here it is. Here's it. Here's the trace of that moment. And sometimes that trace can be, can be an emotional one. It could be something that, and quite personal. Yeah. You know? So then when like you're making films and stuff like, or when you were making films or when you make videos and stuff like that, like what is your motivator with those? Like, is it to now? Yeah. Like, like have you done any personal things that you're just like, I really haven't. Yeah. And it's, it's weird. I have, a, I, and I'm, I have, a, it's an interesting internal kind of tension for me of like around why I'm not, or will I ever do that kind of stuff of, of just personal things? I have ideas for projects. Yeah. And like um, what stops you from doing some it. of which are really fucked up. And, and could, could, would, I would have to probably disappear in like to a rabbit hole for a couple of years and then come back out and say, here's this thing I made. Yeah. There's one particular idea that I've had that would be tough to make. It'd be, it'd be rough from both emotionally and just in terms of the, the history. Um, I'll even tell you what it is. Cause it's kind yeah. of fascinating. I think you'd find it fascinating. Yeah. So my dad who died in 2008 of cancer, as you know, it's, I think it's come up recently because of the work we're doing with inland, inland imaging. Right. He, in his last few years, started dating a woman who was from, I believe, Guadalajara. They met on the internet. She moved to uh, Alaska, where my dad lived. They got married. And then I think they were married for two years before he was diagnosed with terminal cancer and then died like a year later, right? Yeah. Well, they had a video camera and a ton of mini DV tapes, including their wedding. This is super fucked up. Yeah. When I visited Anchorage, I think it was right what I what the last time I saw my dad, which is in the fall of 2007, about 3 months before he died. Yeah. And I took this bag of these mini DV tapes cuz he was I was like, I'll just I'll fucking transfer them and get them onto a hard drive for you guys and whatever cuz that just seems like the nice thing to do. Yeah. Well, my dad died a few months later. I have this bag of these DV tapes, including again, their wedding. Subsequent to that, my, at that time, my 
dad's now widow, moved on, remarried, lives in fucking California. I don't even know where. Yeah. I don't even know where she's at. The Guadalajara lady? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Her name's Luli. And I have these fucking tapes. No means of, no way to get a hold of her. I lost touch with him. I, I didn't even really, I had really rocky end of my dad's life for me. I didn't wait. It was, it was weird. We were already had a kind of strained relationship before he died, but, but I have these tapes and it's the life that my dad had that was quite mysterious to, you know, his three kids. Like we're a very weird family. My mom died when I was 12, almost 13. And my extended family from both Missouri and Ohio, I don't really talk to, I don't really have any connection to any of them. Real like Jerry Springer shit. Yeah. Um, but I've got this like few years of my dad's life and all these videos. These years, I haven't even fucking seen most of any of them. Yeah. But the one time I have seen some stuff, I was like, this is fucking wild. Yeah. Like there was this, this, uh, event that they were at together and my dad's got this little DB camcorder and they're hitting up some relative of or friend or something in, in Alaska is a kid's like hitting a pinata and they're, they're speaking Spanish. Dad learned fucking Spanish to be able to be in this relationship. It was wild. I mean, it was not a, it was like, he was into it. It wasn't yeah. some like, oh, my dad met a woman from another country on the internet and fucking married her and they didn't they don't even really love each other or know each other or whatever. No, my dad learned the language and they loved each other. She was there until his fucking dumbass died, you know, yeah. like, and, but I have these tapes and I'm like, what kind of yeah, film, but what ethical boundaries would I be crossing and how weird is it that I'd be like they're it's all vacation shit. It's like them on vacations and uh, their wedding. And like they went to Mexico at one point with my sister and my sister's husband. And it's that kind of wacky shit. Just they're they're little because they went on trips together. Yeah. What, why would it be unethical to you? Do you think like because I don't know where Luli is. It's, oh, she, sure. it's she's in these videos. It's there. It's there. It was all their little tourism visitor places they went together videos. Yeah. Uh, that like I was supposed to put in and give back to them. Yeah. But it happened right before it all happened so quickly. I yeah, think it was a bit of naivety. Right. My dad was totally in denial that he was going to die. Yeah. But I have all these videos. So I'm like, that's a project I think about. That would be so cool. Interviewing, they, like talking to my sister and my brother. Yeah. Who were all left here going, well, fuck, we don't even know where she's at. My dad did have, he did have uh, retirement. And he ended up with grandkids that three, a few years later, they're n- never see anything from my dad, even though he died, he just gave nothing, nothing went to his kids. Yeah. Everything went to his wife that he had. It was very wild. Yeah. No, that's that, that created some bitterness and weirdness too. I didn't give a fuck ultimately. Cause sure. it's not like he had some huge fortune that he had amassed, right. but yeah, you know, it's a dude who didn't really provide much to his kids when he was alive. Yeah. And then he dies at 55, very young. And leaves nothing because he, he, he remarried when he was 52 or whatever. And yeah, his, you know, the one chance he had of like being able to provide something to his kids in death fell short, walks too. out the door and then she remarries. Yeah. So it's really awkward. But then I've got these tapes. You know what I'm saying? Can't believe we're talking about yeah. this on this podcast. But no, fuck, it's great. Well, it's I'm wild. sitting here like, it's wild. You should make a film. Out of I know, man. <laughs> like, I know. It'd, be, it'd like. be like an experimental documentary, basically, about yeah. my life and this weird life that my dad had that I knew nothing about. Well, thinking of like Matt, like Jackie, uh, Matt McCormick, yeah, Matt McCormick, like thinking of his style of Matt filmmaking, would geek out right? knowing like, about this. Yeah, like taking those kind of older, like um, archival, yeah, his, things, yeah, and then his, like from his family, yeah, and just presenting it, not even in any way that like would mm-hmm. even have to have a bias to it. It could just be like presenting this. There's, I was, I was gonna say, there, right down the road, there's a um, tape to, there's a tape to digital uh, store 
that they take like old DVs and old VHS oh, and stuff, and he and he puts them, makes them digital. I could do that. So because so, I, <laughs> I don't want to do it myself, but if I took this bag of tapes down there, yeah, and you're like, hey, can you just fuck do this? I should do it, man. Well, there's this weird like. So I, I did be, a similar. It would thing. be wild as fuck. I've never seen them, Connor. They've been in a a bag, a Ziploc bag, including his wedding. Yeah. Since 2007. I was finishing up film school and I just, then they sat in a bag because I was doing my junior and senior films and blah, blah, yeah. blah. It's wild. I had a similar, not to that extent, like mine is nowhere nearly as, mine was actually kind of a lighthearted thing, but I had, my mom had this old bag of film, 30, 35 mil film. Yeah. And I got to home develop it yeah. because she just gave it to me. She's like, I don't know what's on this. I don't know if you can even get into them. Some of them were like these old canisters that I couldn't even open. Like there was no way for me to like do it by hand or with my feet or whatever. Yeah. And I developed them and I got like, these old, really like washed out photos of my sister at like like a year old, and like you know, like as just as a little baby, and like these really really old, and they've been sitting in a bag for twenty years. But like I can only imagine like the joy that I felt at that moment would probably be you know like the equivalent of emotions that you would probably feel for maybe not joy, but <laughs> feel something. It would it'll be it'd be it'd have to be something self reflexive where I'd have sure. I would have to be a participant in it. Yeah, like. It, if I thought it should be seen by anybody and there'd be no point to me doing this if I didn't want to share this with like an audience that might find that story interesting. Yeah. You know, especially one of, you know, a dying, uh, relative and that relative being your parent. And, you know, do you have like old home videos from when you were no. growing up or anything like that? Or very, they... yeah, very little. I have a, I have my own DV tapes of when I had a Canon XL one first camera I ever bought. Yeah. Um, of my dad and I and my best friend playing basketball and that's wild. Yeah. Like playing twenty one or whatever, fucking horse or something. I can't remember. When was the last time you watched it? Has it been a long time? Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, yeah. probably eight or ten years. And I was twenty six in this video, so that's weird to see my dad still alive. And it, he was probably like forty five or he's probably like my age, the yeah. age that I am now. He probably was in this video. Might be a good time. I know at the time I'm thinking, old fuck, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, which he, he, he didn't take care of himself, so it's a little different. He aged a little quicker. Which I can still hit the fucking rim. I can still touch the rim. So yeah. get I, off. I could never touch the rim. <laughs> five foot ten. Uh, the uh, well. Anyway, so my relationship to making videos and films and stuff yeah. like that now for me, other than the stuff we do through our work, is is a weird. It's in a weird place. I think you should do it. Yeah. I mean, not to, yeah, I just, I just think that'd be so cool. Yeah. And I'm not filming anything. It's, a, it's purely an editing project. I mean, I would film some stuff of like myself and probably my sister and my brother, but and you could do voiceover for it or something. Like, yeah, I could what, do a lot of different uh, things. I know. It'd be wild. I should take be... this, the tapes up to that place you're talking about. Yeah. You should check it out. I don't know if they do mini DV. I'm assuming they have to. It's just like, yeah, it's like literally tapes to mini DV dominated for the better part of 20 years. Yeah. The market. So. I always drive by. It's right on Garland. I always drive by it and I always think like, oh, places like that are still in business. Like, uh, that's crazy. That must be tough to make but, ends uh, meet doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Because how many people do yeah, that? Fucking, hey, man, we got this more tapes for you. Yeah. Like I'm continually filming. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't seem realistic. Yeah. So then. Okay. So. So then when did that like when did you shift into commercial work then? And what was like so because you were talking about you had like the family and stuff, but you were already out in L.A., right? like LA area. And then did you just decide like, okay, yeah, this is too much for a family. I need to come back and I need to like, I need to do the damn thing here in Spokane. So, Oh, so uh, a, year and, to, a year and a half into the MFA program, I realized I didn't want to do it. I was like, this is awful. We visited uh, both Montana and Spokane where so Ray's from here. Yeah. And we met in uh, Bozeman when I was in film school and she was getting a, a master's degree in, um, uh, counseling and f families and couples counseling. Um, and 
I just realized when I got back to Illinois, I was like, I fucking hate this place. The Midwest sucks. Yeah. I hashtag Northwest forever. Like, <laughs> dude, I got to get back home. I can't, I cannot handle this place. I didn't like the program that much. I also realized I didn't want to go into academia. I realized that tenure track shit was not going to work for me. Yeah. Just looking it around, looking around at the, at the whole landscape of higher ed and, and, you know, associate professors and I, I just, I couldn't, I knew it was not going to work. So, um, a friend of mine was working for this tech company called Ucla and, uh, the long, very long story short, he, I got a job, basically a really good paying job that gave me the latitude to work. That was based, the founder of the company lived in, um, this is how it's got a Montana connection. He lived in Kalispell and, a lot of the developers and people lived in uh, Seattle. One lived in like Montreal. One lived in Chicago. So it was like there were only eight people, and I was like the ninth. Yeah. Um. So got this gig, and then ended up here. That job was awful. I was basically a sales engineer, so like a client facing role, but I had to understand the technology of the software that we licensed to companies and stuff, and and I had like kind of big, heavy companies as clients like Dell and Charter Communications and um, AT&T, or not AT&T, um, Time Warner Cable, like uh, just kind of gross in these 20-person participant uh, video conferences and shit where I had to talk about stuff. And I just got, I, and I knew, means to an end. I got, I got out of grad school, found a way back to the Northwest, bought me, you know, some time to figure out what I want to do. And, but I was so miserable in that gig that I just literally Googled in Spokane production companies. Yeah. I was like, fuck, I don't know. Maybe there's one here. Like, cause I, I have skill with that's, I did, you know, I was a web developer too, had that, that background and then found North by Northwest. Right. And they had just started doing interactive work and they didn't need anything. I thought I'd just go do nonfiction film stuff. Cause that's what I had been studying and thinking about and whatever. Yeah. And they had nothing going on there. Thank God. Cause Jesus Christ, the way they go about making that kind of stuff is not at all what I was thinking. Yeah. I'm like, cool, man, they're going to make movies and whatever. Cause I knew that they had an entertainment division. Um, and I was like, well, they don't, they don't really do that kind of thing. Yeah. They do like some kind of episodic television stuff, like what they're doing now, but like mostly it was commercials and that would have been interesting to me, but they weren't, they didn't need any help for that, but they did need help with their website stuff that they were doing with, mm. with the interactive division that they had started. So um, I started working there as a producer that I, I could dabble in both worlds. And that was kind of helpful too, because I would um, produce work that did for video stuff as well as, but mostly web. And that was, that was really interesting. Um, so I tripped completely tripped into that. And I don't know how much of this story, you know, but then I was just like, I don't want to, they're not involved in the creative process. Really. It's a production company more than an, an agency and, everything I had seen about advertising and marketing in that, that sector, I was like, I learned enough to know some things about process and things that, um, and just things about the relationships that, that you could have with business owners in terms of their story and their business model, things that I've always been really intrigued by, you know, even though I'm a kind of self-loathing capitalist when I am a capitalist, which is rarely. Yeah. So I was like, well, I think I could do this in a little different way, you know, in a, in a way that doesn't require a lot of startup capital, blah, blah, blah. And then when Luke and I, uh, when Luke was one who told me about this idea behind co-working, my interest in that from the get-go was around, why don't we start like a small agency? 
even a consultant model, maybe not even doing the work, but just like having relationships and then, you know, leveraging all of our relationship with the creative economy of Spokane to get shit done, you know? And because yeah. it's not like we thought, Oh, we'll just do like full service from day one. It was just like a, a few of us hanging out at fellow. Yeah. And that's how treatment started. And yeah. I was like, all right, cool. We're doing it. This is like one of the first names we had for it, which was Luke's idea was agency. Yeah. And it <laughs> later what treatment became the name. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a double meaning there. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what happened there. It's wild. Yeah. So then, okay. So th- my, my curiosity always spawns in like, why, what about it? Hold on. So what difficulties have you faced with it? Probably immense. But then also, like, how have you just learned along the way? Like, has it just been, like, you kind of sink or swim with it? You're like, Did you come into it? I know you had a little bit of business knowledge before. But, like, do you think that that was a necessity to get into it? Or do you think, like, anyone could just walk into it and, like, be like okay, I can figure this out? Really good question. As, it per- as pertaining to, like, the marketing and advertising world, um, I was really grateful to the kind of sandbox opportunity I had at North by Northwest because there was a lot of stuff that they just didn't do process wise. Yeah. But they were totally on receive to doing like, I know this will sound ridiculous, but like issuing a statement of work for the stuff you're going to do instead of just doing a real simple pro forma invoice, which is what they did for video stuff. Well, interactive projects took too long. So you had to have more than just a fucking invoice. Right. To do the work. Yeah. You know, an invoice and a little schedule. Like sign this. Okay, cool. Like, uh, wait a minute. There's a lot that goes into a building a website. Yeah. It's not like just producing a video where you show up for three days and or maybe maybe less, like half a day, put a bunch of shit in the can, edit it together in half a day, and it's out the door. It's the processes were so much simpler. So figuring out like how to get work under contract, the business development cycle for work, um, a lot of things I, I got to just kind of either observe or experiment and toy with, inc- including processes. So that was helpful. And then you combine that with the lessons I learned about when I had my video game store. Right. Of just be careful with assuming you know more than you do. Right. And I think I did a pretty good job of that, of like just making sure I was aware that there were things I was going to have to figure out along the way that I didn't know. So just being on receive to the universe, if you will, about, hey, around the corner, there's going to be something you're not anticipating. Yeah. You know, because the business model seemed so fucking simple. I'm like, we have, this could be almost no overhead. It's all computers and shit. We didn't want to do anything physical in terms of physical media. So we didn't have to worry about that. It's like, it's all just exists on computer screens. And yeah, just time. You're building just time. time Yeah, exactly. So that was, um, that's how I stumbled into it. I mean, I, and I honestly think, um, as I've said many times and I know you've heard this before, but it's like, I would never have gotten, had any, any interest whatsoever in, marketing advertising if it weren't for the storytelling the 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 angle of you can go about it a different way than most people do yeah you don't have to just move product for some company and you can actually bring a little bit of the um artistry of filmmaking into the into the stuff you do as much as you can yeah pick, pick your spots you don't I think get, per- personal you don't get cute with too. it but yeah like everything per- we do seems very ethical and like we come at it from that standpoint of like yeah. okay like we're not selling shitty things to people that they don't necessarily need. Like a lot of the, the clients that we have are people that like, yeah. are, you know, doing good services or like actually doing good things. And so the story kind of is already there. It's just a matter of like, how can you creatively do it? But like you said at the beginning of this, it's like, you know, if someone's like, well, I really want to sell people like, you know, these so-and-so amount of units and I just want to move these. Like, what can we do? It's like, well, yeah. Are you really like helping anyone? And like, are we going to be able, cause at the end of the day, if we have like the shitty product, it's like, then you start having to lie to people about, 
you know, well, you really need this thing. This is really going to improve your life. It's like, well, it probably actually won't. Not only that, but then it's like, oh, yeah, I made that video for that company. Yeah. You you don't show it anywhere. I don't feel good about it, but I did. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that I'm going a roundabout dumb way of if you're asking me what made me interested in advertising marketing to begin with, it would have been specifically that not, not, not around like how to go about making good looking videos yeah, (laughs) or, you know, take all the stuff that I love about cameras and technology and and pretty pictures and be able to do some advertising cool shit with that. It was far more to do with the relationships. Yeah. And so the fact that like we've just recently become a certified B corporation is really an extension and the kind of, it maybe not the final destination, but it's certainly a kind of anchor point now for what we're doing. It's like, we are really committed to Spokane. That's it. Or committed to people who are committed to Spokane. Yeah. And that's that's the vibe that's kept us moving from the first thing we ever did. You know, the Chinese Lantern Festival work that we did. It was like, we really thought, this is cool. There's going to be this big event. Let's let's make some cool shit for that. And, um, and then feel a connection to the work and a f- connection to the place. Um, the place and the people for with the work that we do. Like, that's such a big part of it. And you're right. It's... It is so relationship based. It's so it's like and what the what people that want to hire us are trying to accomplish. It's yeah. it is the driver for most of the conversations we have. Maybe ten percent of the time, I'm sure you would uh, have observed. It's like we might question why are we doing this, but that's like a maybe maybe ten percent. Yeah. For the most part, it's obvious. It's like a good fit. It's not just oh, bec- I hired you guys because uh, well. The uh, because you're you're there like it's, yeah. you can, we tend to punt on those you too, can do like, the work and I'm I'm comparing you to five other places that's usually not that's a bad sign yeah if you're because there's because because we are pretty we are relatively unicornish in the marketing advertising space in Spokane the way we go about it like the type of work we want to pursue the fact that we're a certified B corporation and what that means like so if somebody's ended up shopping us around to five other places it's probably a bad sign like, yeah okay well we're nothing like. Yeah, if you just need this, if one you just need, thing, there's yeah, seven other agencies abs- that'll do it, and I'll help you find them. Exactly, yeah. like we can direct you right over there. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, there's our hour. Uh, well done. Yeah. All right. Anyways, um, thanks, Benji. Thanks for coming and talking to me today. Uh, I ha- we're gonna have Thank to do you, another baby. one of these later on because I have so many more questions, but I feel like they're gonna like like hours worth of questions and discussion we can have over. Yeah, we didn't even get to Roland Bart. We'll do that next time. Yes, but I do want to do more of these because, uh, like I said, I just like having good conversations. So, okay, cool. That's yeah, fun, man. Thanks, everybody. Uh, we'll talk to you again the next time I decide to make one of these. <laughs>